All right, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. If, you're, if you've been with us for any length of time, uh, we've, we are in the seventh week of this 10-week series that we've entitled Champion, Walking Through Romans 8. And so if you've been here for any length of that time, your Bible, man, ought to just open up to Romans 8. If you're new with us, that's where we're going to be. And we've been walking through verse by verse through this chapter, reminding ourselves of what is true if we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we are champions in Jesus Christ. That though we face struggles, and though we face difficulties, and though we face tragedies, and though we face all kinds of ups and downs in life, and we know that Paul refers to over and over again in the New Testament that this life is a battle, it's a fight, but we wage it not in our own strength, but with the strength that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can say today that I am victorious in Jesus Christ and that I am a champion in Him. And so we've been walking verse by verse through that reality. And last week we were in verses 26 and 27 in Romans chapter 8 and we looked at this idea, remember it, that feeling helpless is not hopeless when I understand that I have a helper. And in verses 26 and 27 we see that amazing promise that even in those times when I don't know what to pray, in those times that are so dark that I'm like, God, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to pray. I have no words that can come out anymore. That we have an amazing promise in verses 26 and 27 that the Holy Spirit, our helper, helps carry what you and I can't carry alone. And he prays for us when we're at a loss for words. That in those times when we don't know what to pray, when we don't know what to do, the Holy Spirit is helping us carry what you and I can't carry alone, and he is praying for us when we're at a loss for words. That's a tremendous hope when we're feeling helpless. But now we come to verse 28, just dealing with one verse today, one verse in Romans 8, 28. And the title of this message is simply this, God is in control. Do you believe that? That God is in control. That God was in control before time began. That God was in control when Adam and Eve chose to sin. That God was in control when his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, was hung on a cross. God was in control when Jesus raised himself from the dead. And God is in control today, and he'll be in in control tomorrow, and he'll be in control for all of eternity. That's the promise that we have. And we're going to see that in Romans 8.28. So would you look at this one verse with me? And let's read it. And we know, got to circle that phrase, we know. You ought to write your name above that we. And we know that for those who love God, all things, ought to circle that as well, All things, not some things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You know what I found in my life, and I'm sure you found it in yours, is that people approach life different ways. Not telling you anything new in that probably. And what I've found is that people approach life, and though this is not an all comprehensive list, I think we can say that we've run into people who approach life in these ways that I'm going to give you. There's a group of people that would approach life and say, man, it's a game of chance. It's all about, man, did I get dealt a good hand or a bad hand? Like it's like the Russian, or, or it's like Russian roulette or, or even like a roulette wheel, right? Is, the, is maybe it'll be on black, maybe it'll be on red. I hope it's on this number, but life is a game of chance. And there's people that may even be here this morning and, and that's how you approach life. There's another group of people that would say, well, I believe in fate, but, but in the sense like this cosmic fate, right? That, that somehow uh, planets guide my fortune in life, and so, you know, every morning, man, we're flipping to the horoscope, or we're getting that on our phone or whatever, and so we believe in fate, but it's more like this cosmic fate, and there's people that approach life that way, and that may be you this morning. The third group of people that would say, well, I believe that there's a God, right? So you'd be agnostic. I believe that there's a God, but I'm really, I really don't believe that he really cares about what I'm going through on a day-to-day basis. There's people that approach life that way. 
And then there's this last category that I hope is true of you. And it's this group of people that approach life this way. That believe that God's hand is at the helm of their life. That God's in control. You know, there's a theological term that I want to give you. It's called providence. Here's a definition of providence if you're taking notes. God's overruling hand at work everywhere in a fallen world. Like that's a definition of God's providence. That God's overruling hand is at work everywhere, keyword, everywhere in a fallen world. And really, if you page through the scriptures, you know that this is the underlying premise of everything in scripture. That God's not, ever, not surprised by anything. That whatever you're going through right now, that God's not up in heaven thinking, man, I wonder how that's going to work out. But that we serve a God, and one of the ways that God works is through his providence, his overruling hand at work everywhere in a fallen world. Here's a great passage of scripture for that theological term, and it's Romans eleven thirty three through 36, where Paul says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord is who, or who has been his counselor? Like, I love that phrase. Like, God never once says, I need some advice. I for sure say that. You for sure say that. But our God doesn't. Doesn't need to. Verse 35. Or who has given him a gift, a gift to him that he might be repaid? Like, like I'm not going to give anything to God that he's like, man, I'm so glad you did that. Because if you didn't, I don't know what I would have done. Like his overruling hand at work everywhere in a fallen world. That's his providence. Verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The way that God wants you and the way that God wants me to approach my life, my battle, my fight is to approach it with a confidence that he's in control, that God's hand is at the helm of my life. Here's the idea that I want you to really walk away with as we look at one verse in Romans 8, Romans 8, 28, and it's this. That the certainty of what I know gives me confidence to overcome the uncertainty of what I don't know. You know what I think is so interesting is when you read verses 26 all the way through verse 28, you see in verse 26 that, that Paul emphasizes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he writes this, that he says, here's what we need to admit. We don't know everything. There's times in our life where things are going to be so dark that we don't even know what to pray, how to navigate through it. So he says in verse 26, here's what we don't know. And here's the hope in that and how the Holy Spirit ministers to, to those times of uncertainty. But now he comes to verse 28 and he says, even though there's a lot of things that we don't know, here is one thing that we do know. And the certainty of what I do know is gives me confidence to overcome the uncertainty of what I don't know. Because I don't need to tell you either that there's many things that we're going through, maybe even right now, and the uncertainty is thick. And so how do we take the certainty of what we're told to know and preach it and have confidence to overcome the uncertainty of what I don't know? I just came up with some things that you may be out there Right now saying that you're like, man, these are weighing heavy on me. Some things that I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know if I'm going to get the job I applied for. Maybe it's, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay the bills at the end of the month. I don't know if my spouse is going to forgive me for what I've done. I don't know if this friendship is going to be reconciled. I don't know if God is going to heal me. Maybe it's, I don't know if God's going to heal this person that I love. And those uncertainties are real, 
And yes, we take hope in knowing that the Holy Spirit is praying for us in those times of uncertainty, in those times of not knowing. But here's what we do know. That for those who love God, he works all things for the good. To those who are called according to his purpose. And I love the way that phrase is written, and we know. Because it literally has the idea that you can't see it in the English, maybe depending on what translation you have, but it literally has the idea that we know and or we can know. Because our Christian life is all about us growing in what we know, what we believe, where our faith is rooted. And what Paul is saying is here's what we can know, here's what you can grow in knowing. Here is what is the thing that keeps me fighting. Here is the thing that the Holy Spirit uses to fuel my faith. This morning, here's what you may, need, may have never learned up to this point in your Christian walk. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, here is what God wants you to hear, maybe for the tenth time or maybe for the first time. For others of us, here's what we can know. Here's what we can be reminded of. Here's what we can be encouraged in. Here's where we may need to be lovingly rebuked that we have forgotten. And what I want to do this morning is just share with you three things that I see in this one verse of what you and I can know. Here's the first one. Number one, God is always working. Not God is working, but God is always working. See, this idea is the certainty of my security. Remember what I said? Remember this idea? The certainty of what I know gives me confidence to overcome the uncertainty of what I don't know. And what I know and what this verse tells me is that God is always working. This is an absolute so Paul's saying, it's an absolute. Just like one plus one is always going to equal two, just like the sun rising in the morning and the sun setting in the evening is going to happen, the sun's going to set today just like it did yesterday, just like the sky is blue. Some of you North Carolina fans, I know that joke, right? God's a North Carolina, have you ever heard that? God's a, God's a North Carolina fan because... He colored the sky, same color that make up North Carolina. See, I'm dealing with a Wake Forest crowd here, but I didn't say Duke, right? <laughs> Sky's always blue, just like the fire's always hot and the ice is always cold. Those are absolutes, right? This is an absolute. Here's what I can know God is always working. And you know when I begin to doubt that, you know why it is? Because I oftentimes, what I will do is I'll take my fallen traits and apply them to who God is. See, I'll take my fallen plate traits and apply them to God and forget that he doesn't have fallen traits. He has divine traits. See, I look at myself and I'm like, well... I know I don't know everything. And because I don't know everything, I begin to doubt that God knows everything. See, what am I doing? I'm taking my fallen traits and applying them to God, and that's not who God is. God's not fallen. God's perfect. God is God. I'm not. But how often do we struggle in really believing that God is always working because we know, hey, I don't know everything, so maybe God doesn't. We go to so many passages of Scripture that tell us otherwise, Psalm 139 is a great chapter to go to. We say this, well, I can't be everywhere at all times, therefore God can't be everywhere and can't see what I'm going through right now, right? You ever wonder that? Like, I can't be everywhere. I can't see everything. I can't meet every need. So I wonder if God's not going to do that. No, 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 I'm taking my fallen traits and putting them on God. Wait a minute, God's not fallen, God's divine, God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. 
Once again, Psalm 139, a great place to go to in that. What about this one? Well, I say to myself, well, I know I can't do everything. I know I get tired. I get frustrated. I get fatigued. So I wonder if God does. Struggling to believe that he's always working. I wonder if it's because you're taking your fallen traits and applying them to a God who has not fallen. He's perfect. God is always working. It's an absolute. You know, one of the dreams, one of the bad dreams that I often have, I don't, wouldn't equate it as a nightmare, but it's definitely a bad dream. You know, I have it often. Here it is. Be super transparent. Ready? Here, here's the dream. It's Sunday morning. And I wake up in a cold sweat, and I've overslept, and it's church has already started. That's a recurring dream that I have every Saturday night. See, you don't have that dream because you sleep in, and hey, you're, I'll go to the 11. That's a dream that I have often. And... You know what, how I get past that dream is I pull out my phone, which I use in my alarm clock, and you set like five alarms, like one, five, whatever time it is, and then you set another one five minutes later, and five minutes later, and five minutes later, because you're so paranoid. Why? Because you know why? You know that you're not perfect, and I know that I'm not perfect. But let's not take our fallen attributes and put them on a God who's perfect, God is always working. That's what Paul wants us to be reminded of this morning. When I look at this verse and I say, man, what's the certainty of what I know? And how does that give me confidence to overcome the uncertainties of what I don't know? I remind myself that my God is always working. He never sleeps. He never takes a break. He's never tired. He's always working. But we need to be clear about something. That when I look at this verse, it's not speaking. It's not a promise that's for everyone. Did you notice that? Like if you're reading out of the ESV, which is the version that I'm reading out of, it says, starts off, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Those who are called according to his purpose. And so what Paul does, he said, wait a minute, but we need to remind ourselves that this promise is for people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This promise is for champions in Jesus Christ. Those that have put their trust in Jesus' perfection lived for them. Jesus' death on the cross for them. Jesus' resurrection for them. That's who this promise applies to. For those who love God. And then Paul, at the end of the verse, describes our salvation in a different way. He says, those who are called according to his purpose. I love this one little verse. Man, there's so much in here. That what Paul literally does is he shows both sides of the coin of our salvation. So he shows it from a human perspective, and then he also shows this from God's perspective. See, from a human perspective, man, I can remember the day where I asked Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins and I place my trust in him. I remember that as a young boy. Some others of us, we can't pinpoint the exact time, but we can say, man, I see where I've grown in understanding what Jesus Christ has done for me. And so from our human perspective, we say, man, I remember the time where I said, Lord, I love you and I believe in what you've done for me. That's the number one characteristic of someone who's a child of God is they have a love for God. We've seen that over and over again already in Romans 8. But then you come to the end of Romans 8, 28, and now Paul flips it and says, I also want you to see your salvation from God's perspective. See, God called you according to his purpose. God's the initiator of your salvation. And the significance of that is this phrase tucked between those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose is the phrase that so many people know that God works all things for the good. 
but the significance and the security and the certainty of that phrase hinges on the last part of that phrase, that God called you according to his purpose. Because if God is the initiator of my salvation, then God is also the one who holds my salvation in his hand. And my security is founded in the reality that God chose me. Did I choose God? Yes, I did. But God was the initiator of that salvation. So my security does not rest in me, but it rests in understanding what God has done for me. God opened my eyes to realize that I needed him. That's Ephesians 2. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. But verse 4, but God made me alive in Christ Jesus. So the security that's found in that all things work together for good is rooted in the reality of my salvation, that God called me according to his purpose. I mean, what better way to remind myself of, of the absolute that God is always working than looking at my salvation? That's what we can know. Here's the second thing we can know. God is always working in all things. See, let's even be more specific. That God is not just always working, but he's always working in all things. And that phrase, work together, it's where we get the word synergy. Right? It's that idea of, of the working together of various elements to effect, to produce an effect greater than, or oftentimes completely different from, the sum of each element acting separately. So in other words, things coming together to do more and to be beneficial than what they could do on their own. That's literally the idea of work together. Like think about it this way. Like I'm about to step into a realm that I'm not super comfortable in, the realm of chemistry. And I know I'm dealing with a congregation. We live in a medical community where many of you are. So I'm not going to pretend. So here's what I thought was so interesting. You may like, obviously I knew that. Well, I did not. So let me read to you what I thought was so interesting. That gives across this idea of work together, this word where we get synergy from. In the right combination of otherwise harmful chemicals, or the right combination, I should say, of otherwise harmful chemicals can produce a substance that are substances that are extremely beneficial. For example, ordinary table salt. How many of you love salt? Raise your hand. I'm raising my hand nice and high in spite of there being doctors in the audience. I love salt. So take table salt. I thought this was so interesting. It's composed of two poisons, sodium and chlorine. Nobody's going to go and have a great burger this afternoon and say, you got a, a sodium shaker? You got a chlorine shaker? But you take those two together and you have something magnificent. That's that idea. That's that term work together. That God is always working. But look at the scope. It just doesn't say that he works together. But he gives this phrase all things. In other words saying there is no limit to what God can work together. All things. There's no limit that God is not working in some things. He's working in all things. All things including circumstances and events that are good. Praise God for that. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. We praise God for that, but it just doesn't apply to that because that wouldn't mean all things. He's also working in the circumstances, events, and events that those that by themselves are evil and harmful. And there's many in this room that are going through those right now. But here's what I can know. Here's the certainty of what I do know and how it gives me confidence to overcome the uncertainty of what I don't know. God is always working, but he's always working in all things. Listen to this. God is never surprised. He's never caught off guard. He's never at a loss. He's never unprepared. He's never in need of help. He's never needing advice in regards to my sinful choices, my circumstances, the complexities of life, or complications of life. Why? Because God is 
always working in all things. Because here's the third thing that you and I know or can know this morning, can grow in understanding that God is just not always working, but that God is working in all things. But God is just just not working in all things. God is working, always working in all things for my good. See, this is the hope of my security today. This is the hope of my security tomorrow. This is the hope of my security next week and next month and next year if God chooses me to live that long or however long it is. This is the hope of my security, that God is working all things for my good. And you know why? Because good is what your heavenly Father is. It's who he is. And the consequence of him working things together for our good is because that's who he is. See, that word good that we see there in this verse can refer to this present life. I mean, let's be honest. So many of us are so blessed. The blessed that we even live in this country. We're so blessed. And that the good, we experience good on a daily basis, whether or not we recognize it as such. We, we experience good in this present life, and good can refer to that, but it's not limited to that. This word ultimately means the good in the life that is to come for every follower of Jesus Christ. And that term providence that we mentioned at the beginning of this message, that the providence of God, when I look at that word good, that God works all things together for good. Not that all things are good, but he works all things together for good. It's that providence of God that, it, that Paul is speaking of that uses all things for our temporal as well as our eternal benefit. And sometimes, by saving us from tragedies and not allowing us to go through things, But sometimes, God sends us through them in order to draw us closer to him. Can I caution you with something? And I say this to myself as well. Don't put temporal restrictions on your definition of good. Don't do it. Because when I put temporal restrictions on my definition of good, I'm being short-sighted in my faith, and I'm going to find myself frustrated, and I'm going to find myself even, God forbid, bitter towards God because I've put temporal restrictions, temporal parameters on the definition of good and saying, God, you're only good if you do things this way according to this timetable here right now. And so many of us may even be here today, and we are doubting Romans 8.28 to be an absolute. And chances are it's because we put temporal restrictions on our definition of good. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.16-18, through 18, he says, we do not lose heart. We keep fighting. We keep going on. We keep getting up. We keep striving forward. Why? Like, we don't lose heart, even though these are the circumstances. Our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self, that person that I am now because of Jesus Christ, that I'm a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5, that inner self is being renewed day by day. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We saw that last week in the previous weeks. Paul says, for this light momentary affliction, and he's not minimizing, and hear me, I am not minimizing any pain that's in this room this morning, any uncertainty of what you don't know that's in this room this morning. But he says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You want to see what's good, that's good. He says, as we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Like, I can't just look at the here and now, at the temporal of what's going on right now, because I may only see one of those elements. I may only see the 
evil or the harmful element and not have the perspective because I'm only defining what's good by the temporal. And if I do that, then I can't see what God is working together or I can't have the perspective to be ready to see what God wants to do in my inner being. He says, for the things that are seen are transient, like they come and go. They're temporal. It's not that they're not good. It's not that we don't praise God for those, but they're transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And Paul is saying what we just said, man, guard yourself from putting temporal restrictions on your definition of good. Here's what I want to do quickly is I just want to give you some things of how God works all things for your good. Because we can say it, but if I'm sitting in your seat, and though others may not go know what you're going through, you do, we need to remind ourselves, man, how does God actually work all things for my good? Let me give you these quickly. Number one, God's power works for your good. God's power works for your good. And some of you are like, well, why doesn't God just remove that from me right now? Why doesn't God heal me right now? He has the power to do it. Why doesn't God, God give me that job right now? Why doesn't God give me more resources? Why doesn't, why doesn't God allow my spouse to just forgive me and our marriage to be absolutely perfect tomorrow even though I sinned against her today? And, and we go on and on with the list of the things that we gave at the beginning of this message of the uncertainties of what we don't know. But I wonder if God has a greater purpose. Though, yes, we praise God for the times that he removes things from our life, but oftentimes the greatest purpose that God has is for us to walk through things so that we can understand in a greater way his power. Remember last week we looked at Deuteronomy 33, 17? that talks about that underneath are the everlasting arms of God. That maybe the good that he wants you to experience is to be able to feel God's arms underneath you, holding you up right now so that you can grow in understanding and declaring that God's power works for my good. Here's another one. God's wisdom works for your good. We looked at these verses before in our time together, Ephesians 1, 17, where Paul prays that the church at Ephesus would grow in a spirit of wisdom and understanding what, who they are and what they've been given in Jesus Christ, that I would have a wisdom and understanding that in a way that I can on my own. He says that again in Colossians 1.9. Think about James 1.5, that amazing promise that any of us lack wisdom, we can ask God and know he's going to give it, and he's going to give it generously, and he's not going to judge you for asking. And how often can we all say that when we walk through difficult things and we walk through uncertainties of, of questions and saying, I don't know how to answer this, I don't know how this is going to happen, where God grows us in understanding what we do know, that all things work together for the good, and the good that I may be experiencing right now as I'm growing in my understanding and God's wisdom and who I am in him, because right now God is removing everything else from me, and that's the only thing that I can hold on to. Listen, God's wisdom is working for your good. Here's another one. God's faithfulness works for your good. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Every need. He may not remove the obstacle, but he'll provide the means to walk faithfully through it. God's faithfulness works for your good. How about this one? God's word works for my good. Can't think of how many times I can look back to different things that I've walked through and said, man, there are certain passages of scripture that I, God used to minister to me in a way that would not have been possible had I not God allowed me to walk through those things. Those things were not good, but what I grew in understanding is how God's word works for my good. What about this one? We don't hear this often at all. God's angels work for our good. Like, I love this passage of Scripture in Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? 
I just picture this in my mind, and this is just me guessing. The Bible doesn't say this, but I just picture of one day being in God's presence and me being able to see the so many ways that the angels were ministering to me and I didn't even know it. The times that you sat in a hospital room dealing with a difficult thing and you had no idea that there were angels in those rooms ministering to you right now. Holding back the demons that wanted to be in that room and to cause doubt in your mind. The angels that were surrounding your house. The angels that were ministering to you. See, God's angels actually work for your good. It's not my words. Scripture. How about this? God's children work for your good. That's why we say we want every person who calls this place their home to be in a life group. There's room for you. Be in a life group so that you can experience other people working for your good, lifting you up, encouraging you in those uncertainties and reminding you of what you do know. That God is working always in all things for your good. How about this one? We don't think of this often enough. God works the consequences of my sin for my good. It's all things, right? It's not that God's causing me to sin. He doesn't do that. He's perfect. But even when I mess up, why can't we all think of times where we wandered away from God and we faced the consequences of our sin, but God in his grace, the consequences of our sin brought us to a place of brokenness to where now we see God in a greater way. We understand his forgiveness in a greater way and praise God that he doesn't allow us to wander far enough before bringing us back in, man, God can use the, use the consequences of our sin for good. God can use the consequences of sin in this world for good. In the disease that plagues, in the cancer, in the different things that exist because sin is in our world. That God can use those things to accomplish good. That God can use those things and heal someone of that cancer. Physically heal them. Physically heal them of whatever ailment it is. And we see that happen everywhere. But listen to me. Don't put temporal restrictions on what is good. Because there's also stories where though God did not physically heal that person, may we never say, of someone who was a follower of Jesus Christ, who had a health issue, who passed away, that God did not heal them. Because God healed them in a way that we all long to be healed. Though God did not give them extra days on this life, he healed them body, soul, and spirit. Because that person is in, is in a place where we all long to be. And though, yes, we experience that pain, and yes, we experience that loss, and yes, it's a dark time, and I don't minimize that at all. Man, there's hope in knowing that, God, you healed them in a way that I long to be healed. And I can't think of, I can think of so many instances, though I don't wear this as a badge at all, I wish I had none, but I can think of so many instances where I've done funerals of individuals who passed away too soon. And I've been able to see God take their life and hit that person to be with him forever and see the way that it changed so many people. To see who Jesus is in a way that probably would not have been possible had he given them a few more years. That's good. That's good. You know, oftentimes we have the privilege of sharing what we say, God at work videos, where people from our church open up and share the way that God is teaching them different things in their life. And we have one of those this morning, of a couple who, though would have never chosen, knows in a greater way the certainty of allowing what they do know to give them confidence to overcome the uncertainty of what they don't know. Would you watch this with me? We met uh, the day after we graduated high school, and we've been together 
ever since. We, we dated all the way through college at A&M, and then we got married the summer mm -hmm. after we graduated. And then we went to medical school after that. We uh, had had our, our first Caleb. He was about one. And then we had Caroline um, within our first year here. So we had two. So about a year ago, we found out that we were going to have our, our third. And we were really amazed and overjoyed with being parents. I would say we're both kind of the type that never really even knew what life was without knowing Jesus, really. We hadn't really gone through a, a lot of hardships. Our faith had definitely been tested in certain aspects, but it had not been tested in a way that uh, it was about to. We found out um, on our 20-week scan that this one was special. Just kind of thought it would be a routine appointment, and Kent actually surprised me in showing up. His attending at work had actually let him leave and encouraged him to leave to come. And so from the very beginning of Evelyn's story, um, we can certainly see the Lord's faithfulness in that we were um, together um, on February 2nd, which was a really big day. <laughs> it took a really long time, and it was clear that maybe something wasn't great. Um, that there were maybe some some problems. I definitely will never forget the look in his eyes. You could somehow see that that something was wrong. It was clear that from that point on, like things things were going to change for us. Things were never going to be the same. And I remember as this doctor started speaking and he started telling us things you never want to hear at a doctor appointment about your child. That that God was still the same God. And I knew that in leaving that appointment, that he was still good and he was for us. And he was still on his throne. And he was the same God that he was before we walked in. When we left the doctor's appointment, I remember Kent stopping us right outside of the front doors as they closed behind us and saying that um, this sort of news about a child um, ends marriages and ruins marriages but that it, it couldn't have parts. I didn't know how or what to do uh, partway through Nikki's pregnancy. I was just really plagued with a lot of the things that come along with trisomy 18. The rate of stillbirth is around 60%. Most of these babies don't make it to a term, which is critical. A lot of a lot of doubt started to creep in and a lot of anger started to creep in. There came more information and more understanding of what it might be like to have a daughter with this syndrome, um, but also with each meeting it felt like another kick to the gut of what the reality of, um, of our daughter's life might be. Knowing all along that we had this 60% chance that she, that she wouldn't make it, um, I remember each day going to sleep at night and thinking like, Lord, you gave us one more day with her. And how exciting it was every week that we would get to come back to church was almost like another benchmark. Um, that she was still with us, that the Lord was still, was being so gracious and giving us this gift of her life. People that I would run into at the gym or Bible study or, or honestly just strangers that would just ask me about her, just how many times I was able to tell the goodness of the fact that she was still alive and still with us and the Lord was sustaining her and that we wanted to make the most of her life and enjoy her as much as we could. We made it all the way to full term and at that point we had decided to do a C-section to give her the best chances um, of surviving birth. We decided to have just a night of prayer before the C-section the next day and Johnny and Lori were kind enough to, to lead it for us. And we had no idea what that night would look like. Something that was really cool at that meeting was, I feel like both of us had this sense of peace that we hadn't had before. Just all these people praying for our, our daughter, not knowing if, if she was gonna breathe tomorrow, and not knowing if she was gonna be in the ICU, or not knowing if she wouldn't, wouldn't make it. When people would ask, how can we pray for you, that we would specifically ask that we desperately wanted to meet her, and hold her, and, and hear her breathe. We just wanted even minutes with her, just to tell her that we loved her. 
having a diagnosis where you don't know how long your baby will live, when, when you make the choice to choose their birthday, you realize that you may also be choosing the day that they leave this earth. And I remember um, laying on the, on the operating table and holding Kent's hand and listening to the worship music. And I remember saying over and over out loud, Kent, is the Lord here? Tell me he's here. I need him to be here. And, um, and I remember just leaning over and saying, yes, Vicki, of course he's here. Where else would he be? I think in that moment I learned what actual faith is. I think I was expecting the Lord to verbally tell me he was there or do some miraculous sign so I would know he was there. But I think instead he was asking me to trust in faith that he was there. And it wasn't moments after that that they that they got Evelyn out. It, it felt like forever um, mm -hmm. from the time that she came out to when she took her first breath and like right after that breath she turned pink and she started moving and she started crying. And, and <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. Feeling that we've gone through all this not knowing um, and that the Lord gave this baby that was going to go straight back into Vicky's arms. And they were assessing her and when she let out that cry um, all that anxiety and all that pain and all that fear that I had been holding on to and I remember just giggling and just worshiping the Lord in a whole new way um, having walked literally through a valley that I had never been through in my life those few moments as I lay on the on the operating table and I felt like my faith for the first time was ever really tested I felt like it was there that I I had to decide, like, do I really believe who he says he is? Do I really believe he's here and he would never leave me or forsake me? Is he really real? After we went home, we uh, went to restaurants with her. We took her to the pool and she felt the rain on her face. And her feet got dipped into the ocean. Just all these amazing things that we didn't think would be the case. We didn't expect for her to possibly breathe on her own. Um, and she did. We didn't expect for her to be able to eat, and she was eating from a bottle. We just had no idea what she would be capable of doing, but through the Lord continuing to provide these miracles in her life, she just so quickly actually became a real part of our family, a real member of our family that would eat at the same times as we would, and sleep, and would keep us up all night just like any other regular baby would. As, as we came to the end of having her for a whole month, which we didn't expect. We knew that Kent was gonna to have to go back to work and for Kent to go back to work for the month of July, he was gonna to have to travel. We actually were able to take her with us. Evelyn went to eight states in eight weeks and we had unbelievable conversations with people. She was just this amazing um, conversation starter to talk about how good the Lord is and how faithful he is and how how beautiful his story for each of our lives are, even if it's just a 57-day life. So as we were traveling, we were on our last trip, and it was to um, Wyoming and Montana. We had this beautiful day out in one of the most beautiful places on earth, being right outside of Yellowstone. And then slowly, Evelyn and the Lord made it clear to us that this was going to be the end of Evelyn's life and that she wasn't going to live much longer. As a family, we were able to all come together. We turned on the same worship playlist that was playing when she was born. And in this room that had all this beauty of the mountains outside of it, and then all this, this love of this family inside it, we were able to place her directly into the Lord's arms from ours. We could have never come up with on our own. A story we could have never written on our own. The life that she lived was unbelievable. And um, she lived tenfold longer than she should have. And the impact that she had was even greater than that. He knew that this was the direction our story would take. This was the direction our family would go. He knew when we made our, our wedding vows that this was part of them. As difficult as that was, it's been really great to go through this and to go through Romans um, and to hear all of these truths. While I, I, I would never choose it again, I would never want to go through this again, if I could change everything and have Evelyn back in my arms, I would. But I can see that God has worked all these things together for good. Because I know that God's love 
knows no bounds, and what he's capable of knows no bounds. And that's what everyone taught me. And I feel like the Lord showed me that through her. You know, there's a lot of things that we don't know. A lot of uncertainties. A lot of things that we're walking through right now that we don't know. Man, it's in that uncertainty that we do thank God for the Holy Spirit who prays in ways that we don't know how to pray or how to deal or how to react. But there's also something that we saw today that we do know, right? It's, it's where we need to drop our anchor today. Feeling tossed around and beaten down by the waves of life, man, where are you dropping your anchor? Because that anchor needs to be dropped in the rock who is Jesus Christ. And in a promise that is found in Romans 8.28. That God is always working in all things for my ultimate good and his ultimate glory. And I just want us right now, let's just... Like, let's just sit, let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. And those things that you may, those uncertainties that you're walking through right now, like, let's just take them to God. Let's lay them at his feet. And let's take that promise that for those who love God, he works all things for the good. To those who are called according to his purpose, man, let's take that like a blanket and wrap it around us. Let's take the certainty of what we know and preach it, confidence in it, to overcome those uncertainties of what we don't know. And and if right now you're like, man, God, I need to be reminded of that. Like, that's what I'm praying for, that God would show me that. I want you to raise your hand, but listen to me before you do it. You're not raising your hand for me. I want you to do it just as a tangible way to say, God, I'm raising my hand to you. Because I need to be reminded of this. If that's you all around, you're raising your hand to God, not me. Yeah, God, I need to be reminded of the certainty of what I know what the certainty of my security is, what the scope of my security is, what the hope of my security is. Father, you see these hands and you see these hearts. God, there's so much of life that's not easy. Lord, we don't pretend that it is today. Well, there's a reason why you call life a fight. There's a reason why you call it a race. There's a reason why you call it a battle. But God, I thank you for the certainty that you provided for us through your son, Jesus Christ. For those of us who love God, who are called according to your purpose, God, we know and we can grow in knowing that all things work together for good. And Lord, for someone in this room that has never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God, may they look to you. May they see that their sin has separated themselves from you. But God, it doesn't end there for them that you sent Jesus Christ to live perfection and die on the cross for them and rose again. So Lord, even right now, they can call out to you and accept that gift of salvation so they can walk out of here with a promise that was not theirs before they came in these doors. But God, I thank you you provided for us something that we can know. 